Uh, anyway, just grateful that we, uh, we get to share uh, with our community in the ways that we do. And we're going to talk about community today. We're going to talk about uh, what we uh, just, you know, spent our early part of our service doing, commissioning teams uh, and, and this mission that we're on. So without further ado, I'm going to pray. I'm going to start, though, by just allowing us to observe a moment uh, to remember the, the men and women who have given their lives for our country on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I read the, I'm sure you've seen it on a bumper sticker somewhere, but we are the uh, the land of the free because of the brave. So let's just remember what God has done for us and these families who are without their loved ones at this time. God in heaven, uh, we have what we have in our country because uh, many men and women uh, pay the ultimate price. Uh, great things come at great cost. Uh, so thank you uh, for their uh, sacrifice. Uh, Lord, I pray for the families who are mourning them this weekend and bring comfort to them. Lord, we, we, uh, we come to this place to worship you uh, because your son uh, paid a great price. So that, that we might have this, this great gift of salvation. So uh, we celebrate Jesus this morning and what he has meant to us. We want to be a part, Lord, of what you're doing here and around the world. Uh, we understand these teams going out this summer are going to be a, an element of that. We, we, we all want to be engaged, though, God, even if we don't understand that that's what our mission is. I pray that this morning's a chance for us to learn that. Uh, if, if we've known that and we've been disengaged, I pray that this is a chance for us to get back on track uh, so that... Uh, the whole world has the opportunity, God, through us and the rest of your church to, to respond to the grace that Jesus has won on the cross. Uh, Lord, I'm going to preach this stuff now. You say what you want through me. Get me out of the way and lead us, Lord, to your mission. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sat down to breakfast this past Monday morning at New York Diner. I always get the special. And I like, uh, I like having a, a lone breakfast every once in a while. Does anybody like to just go out and have a lunch by yourself or a breakfast by yourself? Some of you are like, what, really, you do that? Yes. I read the paper, and I love to sit down and just read it cover to cover. Uh, I don't buy a paper because I'm too cheap, uh, so I get that free one, that TBT one. And uh, they always have a number for the day. That's what the actual name of the segment or the column is. And the number for Monday was 13%. Caught my eye. It's really big, so I started reading uh, this is what it says. The percent, 13% is the percentage of American adults who say they are former Catholics. Well, now I'm really interested because this is a religious number. Uh, but uh, it's a sad one. Uh, th in some forms, that 13% of, of, of Catholics have rescinded their faith. It's the largest single group of people who have left a faith in which they were raised on record. It says it's one of the surprising figures in a report by the Pew Research Center that documents how the U.S. has become significantly less Christian in the last eight years as the share of American adults who espouse no systematic religious belief has increased sharply. For what is likely the first time in uh, U.S. history, the actual number of American Christians has, has declined. Roughly 173 uh, million adult Americans today identify as Christian, just under 71% of our populace. That's down from 178 million, or about 78% of the U.S. populace in 2007. Uh, one, in American, one in five American adults were raised in a religious tradition, 
but now say that they're unaffiliated, uh, the study found. Uh, among Americans aged 18 to 33, just slightly more than half identify as Christian, compared with roughly 8 and 10 in the baby boom generation and the older generational groups. Now, there's a, a, a new category in religious surveys. Uh, it's the box marked none. And a full 25% of respondents in this Pew Research Group uh, survey marked that box. People just saying none. I don't have any religious affiliation. That's some of you are like, oh, man, it's a bummer. It is a bummer. Uh, we're, that's the wrong direction uh, as far as the mission is concerned. Uh, let, let me kind of put it in context, though. Europe has gone this way. Uh, and if you go to Europe today, you'll see the, the effects of that. Europe used, used to be the home of Christianity, uh, and now uh, it's uh, uh, you know, turned in the other direction. But these things are cyclical. Heard of China? Anybody? Yeah. That was an easy one. That, that's the easiest one I'm going to give you. Have you heard of China? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, China went through a, 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 you know, a, a revolution, a communist revolution. Uh, Christianity was uh, outlawed. You're, you're not allowed to have a Bible. When I went to China uh, 15 years, 20, almost 20 years ago now, crazy. Uh, but we had to wrap our Bibles in like brown paper bags so that uh, people, you know, we kind of snuck them in. It felt very, you know, spy movie-ish. It was fun. But uh, you're not allowed to own a Bible in China. Uh, but uh, it's, it's one of the places of the greatest growth in Christianity in, in the world today. Uh, hundreds of millions of people are finding faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, isn't that great? Yeah, that's the good news. Now, but, but he, all, all that to tell you, the world's going to do this. It's going to kind of dip and, and, and surge. And, but here's the constant, just so we're clear. That's what I want to talk about today. The constant is no matter what's going on in the culture, no matter uh, who's heading down, who's heading up, the mission of the church remains the same. It's been the same for 2,000 years. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. People ask me, why are we sending kids to Georgia? Well, why are we sending kids to Orlando? Why are we sending teams to Uganda and Honduras and all these other places? Well, it's, it's the mission. It's what a church is meant to do. Yet behind all of the other things that we accomplish and ways that we, you know, function as a church, the, the undercurrent of everything should be this, the, the following of Jesus and the spreading of his gospel. Because that's what we do. That's who we are. The, the word for church in, in Greek is ekklesia. I talk to you about this all the time, but don't forget, it, it's not a, it's necessarily a noun. It's, it's more of a, an idea of a movement. It's a, it's a verb. We, we are the church. We, we do church. We, we, it's not a place that we go to. It, it's, it's who we are. Ekklesia means called out ones. We, we've been the ones, by the grace of God, who's been, who've been called out of our sin, called out of the, the mess that was every other system in life, and we've been given the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. And, and it's ours now to, to benefit from in our relationship with God, but it's ours to share with those who don't yet know him. We're the called out ones. Some people ask me, should we take all our uh, initiatives and, and energies and, and, and should we express them in, in faraway places or should we do things here? And my answer is always what? Anybody want to know? Yes. Why? Because the mission's the same. Wherever we go, as far as we go, as close as we stay, we're the church. We're the called out ones. And we're the ones who share the good news of Jesus Christ. Behind me, yeah, you're probably laughing at some slides. Are they showing slides behind me? 
Yeah, these are all pictures of, of uh, lifers who have been a part of this initiative in different ways in different places. Uh, and, and those who are going this summer are going to have their pictures. But here's, here's what I want us to know. Everybody in here, you know, whether you're going on a trip or not, is a part of this mission. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a fisher of men. It is, it is yours. It's mine. It's us together accomplishing more together than we could alone. It's us supporting in ways that we could support this mission that we've been called to. So what I want to do with our time is I want to kind of just have a refresher. This is one of those sermons that probably a lot are going to be like, yeah, I knew that. Oh, yeah, I knew that. But here's what can happen sometimes. Has anybody ever been given a list of things to go get at the grocery store and you didn't write it down? Who's ever had that server at a restaurant who takes the entire table's order? There's like six of you. And everybody's ordered like very succinctly the things that they want on their burgers and don't want. And she says, oh, I got it all. Is anybody confident that that's actually going to happen? Has anybody ever had that? I don't think you got any of it, really. In fact, here's what's happened in my world now. If you want me to get something, whether I'm going to a, a, a dinner place to get some takeout and, you know, you want a, something on your burrito, or if I'm going to go to the grocery store and you need things, what do, I, what do I tell my family? They all start yelling things as I'm walking out the door. What do I say? Text me. No, I don't even say write it down. Text me what you want. If it's on my phone and I'm in the aisle and I can read your list, I'm good. But if you're expecting me to remember this stuff, it's not coming home. Is everybody with me on that? So this is my text to you this morning of our mission. This is me reminding us of what this is all about. So let's start in Genesis. And we're going to kind of play off of what we started in in the Wired series about the design of God. Obviously, the mission is part of God's design, especially in our day and age. And so I'm just going to bust through a whole bunch of stuff starting in Genesis, and then we'll get to our part in our day and age now. A Brief Theological History by Mark Saunders. Thank you very much. Here we go. First of all, God makes men. Everybody familiar with that one? That's Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, Adam and Eve. Everybody's good with that? What were we made in? We were made in the image of God. We are his image bearers, and we are his what they call viceroys. We're, we're here on the earth. To, uh, to, do, to have dominion, to subdue the earth, to be his agents on the earth, over his creation. That's how he intended it to start. So God makes man. He sets uh, Adam and Eve uh, loose on the earth, says, go forth and multiply, subdue the earth. Uh, God then sets up a plan. We've talked about this a ton in this series. What's his plan? His plan is for a man and woman, as we talked about in the series, to function in certain ways. But the overarching plan for both the man and the woman is that the man and the woman, first of all, will work, that will be productive, that will do things for the glory of God. It says that in the New Testament. Whatever you do, do it as unto the glory of God. Do it for the sake of God. Do it so that he is glorified. That was a mission from day one in humanity's uh, existence. Work, produce for the glory of God. Uh, God also told Adam in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, Hey man, I need you to work the garden. I need you to tend the garden. It means to protect we talked about how that means that God wants us to protect his design. I set things up a certain way. I want them to work a certain way because that's how they work. So yeah, be productive. But in your productivity, don't get overly creative and try to do things outside of my design. Protect my design. Do things as I intended them. And then he goes on and he says to, uh, to the man, he says, hey, listen, I'm putting a couple of trees in the garden. And it says, this is the first time it occurs in the whole Bible. It says, this is my command to you. God lays down the law. He says, this is how this is supposed to work. And in doing so, it implies there that not only are we supposed to work, 
not only are we supposed to protect God's design, but we are to submit to God. God created humanity in his image to work, to protect his design, and to submit to him in all things. How'd that go? Anybody read the Bible? Yeah, that's God's plan. But what does man do with a plan? Man kind of crushes it. Not kind of. Totally. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, everything comes undone. only took three uh, pages of your Bible for everything to just go skawonk. And uh, there they are, Adam and Eve. Starts with uh, this snake and Eve obviously thinking through whether or not I should do the one thing that God commanded us not to. She's convinced. She shares it with her dodo husband who had, you know, just all kinds of issues not living up to his design. And then sin comes into the world, right? It's it's the darkest day in human history. The day that humanity, created in all of God's glory, in his image, intended to be united with him in in the dominion and in the enjoyment of God's creation. And and we blew it. We just said, no, we got something better. Well, here's, here's one of my favorite parts of the book of Genesis. I love all the stories of the patriarchs and all that stuff. But what follows man's big blow-up is man's punishment. Uh, actually, God, you can just kind of picture it. I remember, anybody ever lining up your kids? You know, everybody's messed up, so we have the lineup. And then you say, okay, I know you were the mastermind. That's two weeks, two weeks of grounding, right? And you should have known better that's a week, and you, you're my favorite. So, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> don't do that. Don't ever do that. That never happened in my house, right, kids? Anybody in my kids? Okay. But God does a lineup. He lines up Satan and the man and the woman, and he just doles out the punishment. You remember reading those in Genesis chapter 3? I'm going to read you just a couple verses. As, uh, as God, in, in, in the wake of man completely blowing it, God sets up his rescue plan. He sets it up. He implies that, you know what, this isn't going to last forever. And he does it as he's addressing the punishment of Satan, the serpent. It says, the Lord God said to the serpent, Satan, the tempter, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. He goes on, he gets more theological. He says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Now, he's not speaking of just the woman, like Satan doesn't bother men. Fellas, anybody want to testify to the opposite of that? Uh, He's on us, isn't he? All right? What he's saying is, he's basically saying, listen, humanity, represented here by the woman, you and humanity, you're going to be at war. And and what does the Bible go on to describe Satan as being? He's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. His whole mission, his whole mission in his existence is to take everything that God has made for good and undercut it, undermine it, destroy it. Uh, he, He wants to reverse everything that's meant to glorify God and turn its glory back on himself. So God says, yeah, you started here in the garden. You got these two offsides. Uh, and it's going to continue that way. There's going to be enmity between you and humanity. But then he goes on and he says, between your offspring, that's plural, and her offspring, that's singular. In English, it sounds like, you know, offspring, offspring. But he's talking about, listen, all of your minions, all of your followers, everybody that you've duped into believing your way is right over my way, well, they're going to be against and come against this one singular offspring of this woman. Was he talking about Cain or Abel? Was he talking about the first generation? No, he's talking about uh, 
a, a person who is going to be born human some generations in the future. Because all your minions, every, all your followers are going to come against him, but here's what's going to happen. Everybody ready? He, the one, and then the English Standard Version, it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, I usually like the English Standard Version over the other tra- English translations, but I like the NIV better in this one because in the NIV it says with more emphasis in the Hebrew, he, this one who is descending from this woman, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Now, anybody ever caught a snake? Really? You caught a snake? That's cool. Uh, if you ever watch some of these uh, survival shows, people get out in the woods, they don't have anything to eat, and so they start eating bugs and, you know, tree bark, and, and if they can find a snake, hey, woo-woo, right? Here's how you don't try to kill a snake. You don't start chopping off its tail and move towards its head. Is this a bad idea? Anybody with me on this? Which end bites? Anybody want to remember that for me? The head part, right? And so if you could somehow get a stick over that critter's head, even though the, the back ends is... If you got the head, you've got the snake. And if you can somehow get a blade down to that part, I don't mean to gross anybody out, have a great lunch, but, but if you cut that head off, then you could do like they do in China. You could just peel that thing down like a sock, drill it up, and off we go. Mmm, yum, right? <laughs> that was more than you needed. All right. Uh, but the point is, crush the head, crush the animal. Animals don't live without their heads. So what's the, what's the offspring going to do to the Satan? What, what's going to happen to this snake? You're going you're gonna to lose your head, bro. God. Verses after. The first humans blew it. He's already put into place his redemption plan. A descendant's going to come from humanity, and he is going to crush all of your efforts to undermine my work. Now, you're going you're gonna to try to bruise his heel. Is anybody picturing the crucifixion as you're reading this verse now? You're going to try to bruise his heel. You're going to try to, you're going to try to kill him. And in fact, it's going to look like you did. A couple days, three days, it's going to seem like you won. But guess what? He ain't staying down. It's just a bruise. It's not going to be enough. In the end, Satan, you lose. Read Revelation. That's exactly what happens. Satan unleashes all of his fury in the end times. But who prevails? The guy on the white horse. Jesus ends sin and evil forever so god makes man god sets a plan god kills man excuse me man kills plan (laughs) freudian god rescues man then the old testament takes place and we get to the new testament where god becomes man christmas time right it's uh it's when we celebrate the birth of jesus this this foretold ancestor of the woman has now come He's, he's, he's Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's actually, that's the song that they sang about him. Uh, the angels got together and, and uh, you know, did some glee club with the, with the uh, shepherds there. The angels said to them, fear not, for behold, bring, I, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Say it with me. Uh, who is the... Yeah, when you think of Jesus, think of those words. Those are his titles. He has others, but these are the titles that were issued to the shepherds on this night of his birth. He says, hey, he's first of all our Savior. What does that imply? Someone needs some saving, saving around here. Uh, you and I are unable in and of ourselves to, to reverse the curse of sin. 
And so God, through his son Jesus, has accomplished that through his death and resurrection on the cross. He became sin. He took your sins and mine, and he paid the price, the price that everyone has to pay for sin, death. He paid that price so that you and I don't have to. He's our Savior. He's our Christ. That's, that's the, the Greek term for the Hebrew word Messiah. He's, he's this, this promised one, this one who is going to become our deliverer, and our Savior, and then our deliverer. He's, he's going to lead us into a new life, a new way. The, the Jews were hoping for someone who would be a political Messiah. But Jesus came as a spiritual Messiah so that all people, did you read that in the last verse? Great joy could become uh, the reality for all people, right? And then what's the last thing it says? That he's our Lord. He's not just meant to be something that we add to our lives. He's meant to be the point of our lives. The center of, of who, who you and I are. If we follow him, he's first. He's prominent and preeminent. He's our Lord. God becomes man, and then God in the form of Jesus. Uh, he's, he enacts this, this whole mission that we were talking about when I first started. Uh, Jesus invites man. In this second part of our theological history, in the second part of our story, sin comes in. Uh, the promises are made. The Old Testament and all the things that happen with the nation of Israel occur. But now here comes Jesus, and Jesus is going to become our sacrifice. He's going to become our source. If we have faith in him, we are saved. But he's not going to stick around and, and propagate that message. He's not going to be the one who proliferates it. He's going to use who? Us. He gets right at it. He immediately calls followers to himself. How many? Twelve. The first group was a twelver. It became 11 because one of them kind of messed up, right? But yeah, he calls 12 of these guys together. He, he's actually, uh, he, he's, he's in the process of calling these 12. And, and, and uh, this is one of the, the sections where he calls two of them, a guy named Simon and his brother Andrew. I read a book recently, and the, the author of the book was trying to summarize Jesus' work and message in one verse. See if I could summarize that in one verse. I know. That's why they've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so you don't have to do that. But he managed to do it in a way that I think was pretty succinct. This is what he said it was in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Starting in verse 18, it says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is also called Peter. That's later in his story. Jesus gives him that nickname. Uh, and Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Probably close to the shore. Maybe even one of those bait nets. Anybody? Some of you guys are fishermen. you got to get fishermen's. How's it going? You've got to get bait before you can go out there and catch the big stuff. So they're probably just getting themselves some bait so they can, you know, uh, you know be able to you know, catch fish later on. Uh, Jesus sees them and he says to them, hey, fellas, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What did they do? They followed him. And what did they become? Fishers of men. This is the two-prong uh, understanding of the Christian life. The first part, obviously, you personally have to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus said to Simon and Andrew. Hey, follow me. We say it around here, we exist to surrender to God. That's the first part of the Christian initiative. You personally giving your life to Jesus. But as I've told you since I got here, and as I know many of you have known your whole life, it doesn't stop there. The Jesus thing is never meant to terminate with me. It's not just so that I can have my fire insurance, I can punch my eternity ticket, 
and I can go home to be Jesus. It's meant to go into me, change my life, revolutionize my world, and then I am meant to be a conduit, to be a vessel broken and spilled out so that Jesus flows into me and flows out to the world around me. I follow Jesus, and then I become, by God's grace and through his strength, a fisher of men. Now, does this mean everybody has to go to the missionary fields and, you know, live in a hut somewhere? Nope. But do you have to do everything that you can do in your part or in your portion of that so that the mission can go forward? Yep. Because everybody's a missionary. Not everybody does the same work in this mission focus, but everybody's a part. If you are a Christian, everybody look at me, lean in. Lean, let's lean in. If you're a Christian, you're a fisherman. It's just who you are. It's what you do. And some of you thought, this is all about me. I'm going to go to church so I can get some stuff for me. I'm going to go to church because my problems involve me and I want someone to solve my problems. I hope you said something about it this morning. Because it's getting pretty hard around my house. Hey, listen. I'll counsel you. I'll love you. I'll pray with you. I'll do all those things. Because I want you to have life and life to the full. I love you guys. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe that God wants to deliver us from evil, right? And I I pray that that happens. But don't ever think that that is the end game. Your comfort, your, your happiness in life, while I pray it comes, is secondary to the mission that we have as followers of Jesus Christ to see more and more people follow him. Is everybody with me on that? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's what Jesus says. He invites them. And then after he spends three and a half years with these guys, Jesus resets the plan. If you're following along in your Bibles, flip over to Acts chapter 1. Here's what it says there. Jesus, having been crucified and risen from the grave, he spent 40 days hanging out with his friends uh, in, in, in opportunities for them to see him in his resurrected form. He calls them together one last time, and this is what they say. So when they had come together here in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This was a common theme. Uh, Once Jesus started talking about the kingdom, these disciples kind of got tunnel vision. They always argued about who'd be the greatest in the kingdom. Which chair do I get to sit in in the kingdom? Jesus said, we're going to rule with him. How close am I to the throne, right? And so here comes Jesus. He says, hey, we're all going to meet one more time. Let's figure out what's going to go on next. And they all think, oh, kingdom. Is it coming? I mean, you wrote, listen, you died, you rose from the grave. Let's just start it now. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says to them, hey, it's not for you to know. Anytime someone tells you that they know when the kingdom will start, when Jesus is coming back, quote them this verse. It's not ours to know. Can I finish it, though? Verse 7. It's not for you to know. Times or season that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Instead, verse 8, here's what I want you to focus your energies on apostles here in this first church or first church setting he says listen you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you this is i hope this is evident but none of this mission happens except that god does it through it the holy spirit empowers us to accomplish the mission god has for us can i get an amen on that one all right so the holy spirit will empower you this happens in the next chapter and on the day of pentecost when the holy spirit comes on these disciples So the promise was fulfilled. The Holy Spirit will empower you. It will come upon you. And then here it is. You will be my, say it, witnesses. You're my my fishers of men. You're my messengers. 
And where are you going to do it? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Now, these guys were probably right on board when he said Jerusalem and Judea. They're like, got it. I mean, I got the street grid, you know, memorized. It's like the back, oh, that's the front of my hand. Back of my hand. They, they know Jerusalem and Judea. But I bet you there were some puzzled looks when Jesus said Samaria. Samaria? Did he say Samaria? I mean, Jerusalem and Judea, yeah, but Samaria? He knows Samaritans live there, right? Remember their reactions when Jesus made them go through Samaria? They were pretty fidgety, right? Remember that when he met the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Like, uh, we're going to go into town and get some food. Try not to see any Samaritans. But Jesus engaged. He says, yeah, Samaria. What's that mean? He says, you don't just focus in on the close ends. Obviously, we should. We should be doing everything we can uh, to lead people to Christ and to liberate people so they can hear the message of Christ around here. We want to provide for their physical needs so that they can get to their spiritual needs. We want to do everything we can in our own backyard to make Jesus known to the people who need him. Amen? But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with the familiars. It doesn't stop with, stop, stop with the easy ones or the easier ones to reach. We need to be creative. Our Samaria could be migrant workers. It is. It's one of the things we're trying to do. So we're trying to reach the migrant, fam- migrant worker families in our community. It's reaching people that, you know, are, uh, well, we'd just rather not talk to them, rather not look at them when they're begging on the streets. It, it's, it's having a heart for everybody, not just the close ends, but those who may not be our first choice in sharing. And then he says, then he says something that just blew the whole thing up. Jesus says, and we're going to go to the ends of the earth, fellas. They're like, ends of the earth? I've traveled like, you know, 40, 50 miles back and forth in one country my whole life. I don't even have a passport, Jesus, right? How are we going to take this to the ends of the earth? Jesus says, don't worry about it, you will. And did they? Yeah, read the rest of the book of Acts. Because once Jesus resets the plan, then the church goes on to be created and executes the plan. And today it's still supposed to. It's still supposed to be happening today. The Bible tells the story of, of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 come that first day. Nice start. Jerusalem and Judea, check. We got them. We're moving in a good direction. It tells us in Acts chapter 8 that Philip, one of the apostles, uh, he, he, he was led by God to go to Samaria, to the capital city of Samaria, and he started preaching the gospel there. Check. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. In that same chapter, Stephen... He's one of the deacons there in the early church. Uh, he's basically uh, given you know, an opportunity to speak. He says some things that really inflame his listeners to the point that these guys pick up rocks and he, Stephen becomes the first martyr in the Christian church. They throw rocks at him until he's dead. And everybody in Jerusalem was like, whoa. Everybody loved us in Acts chapter 2. But it's only taken six chapters and now they're throwing rocks at us until we, hey, maybe we should leave town. And guess what? God allowed this persecution to become one of the main stimuli. And the gospel going where? To the ends of the earth, right? Paul shows up in the latter parts of the book of Acts. He becomes the missionary to the Gentiles. So when you read your Bibles and you read the letter to the Galatians and the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the Philippians and the Colossians, letters to Rome, letters to Corinth. These are all churches that either Paul and his team started themselves or others who were under their teaching went and started. And so there in that that first century church, the mission begins to be accomplished. And here we are. How many chapters in the book of Acts? Anybody know? 
There's 28, just for sake of time. Here we are now in Acts chapter 29. That's us. This last 2,000 years has been this, that, that last chapter of Acts being written because we're the church. And we're the people who carry on this mission. So that's why we send kids around the world. That's why we send teams to places where Jesus needs to be known. It's because it's the mission. It's been the mission for 2,000 years. So I got one last question before I bring Eleanor out. And she's going to explain some ways that we can be a part of that in more tangible modes. Uh, my question is this. Are we going or are we gazing? Are we gazing or are we going? Look what happens here in the, in the text in Acts chapter 1. It says this. And when he had said these things, go and be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, utmost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth. When he said these things, as they were looking on, as they were watching him, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. All right. Everybody... If, if, if Jesus comes into this room this morning, first of all, I'm sitting down immediately. Everybody got that? All right. Stage is yours. But if he comes in here and Jesus, you know, just like what's happening here with his disciples, he starts levitating, a, a hole opens in the, in the roof, and he heads up into heaven. Who's watching? Anybody watching that? Anybody see it? Like he clears the roof. Anybody kind of coming up here to the front so they could see through the hole, see how far? Anybody? I mean, we watched balloons go up into the sky. Has anybody ever done that? You're at a, you're at a birthday party. Like, oh, here goes the balloon. <laughs> I can still see it. Right? So is anybody, you know, uh, not understanding the disciples were kind of like, whoa, right? Yeah, I'd be transfixed myself. Well, look what it says. Verse 10. It says, while they were gazing into heaven as he went behold two men stood by them in white robes god had this way uh, when when the followers of jesus there in that first uh you know early church time uh when they came to the empty tomb god sends ministers messengers when they're standing here watching as jesus ascends into the sky he sends messengers and he does it to kind of hey look what he says the men say this Men of Galilee, that's the disciples, most of them are from that region. Why do you stand looking into heaven? What's with the gawking? Why are you looking up? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Read Revelation. He's coming back. He's coming back. The first time he came, it was all about redemption. The second time he comes, it's all about repayment. But he's coming back. Here's the trick, though, guys. This is what the men in white were saying. Hey, here's the trick. Don't spend your time looking at the sky. Don't spend your time. Has anybody ever tried to walk around looking at the sky? Like, let's all do that as we leave this morning. Everybody stand up and then just stare at the ceiling and start walking around. How effective are we going to? I'm not even, I'm like on a stage. This is a bad idea. I mean, how, how great are we going to be in moving forward if we're looking up, right? It doesn't work. What were the men's message to these guys? Hey, you were just given the mission. Quit staring at the sky and get going. This is the question for everybody who follows Jesus Christ. Am I staring at the sky? Am I making this whole Jesus thing all about me? Does it terminate with me? Or do I understand that I'm a part of the greater plan of God? His design. Once things went awry and, and squonk with sin, his design was to restore mankind to himself. He's done that through sending Jesus. We are the agents of that message. So are we gazing or are we going? There's some specific ways that we can be a part of going this morning. 
uh, especially as these teams go out this summer. So Eleanor's going to come now and just share those things with you briefly. Welcome my wife back to the stage. Um, okay, just a few ways that you can be involved. I know most of us are like, oh, I'm not going to be going to Uganda anytime soon. But there are ways that you can help today. Um, first and foremost, we need you to pray. I know we prayed this morning, but we need you to continue to pray all summer. And so we've created these things. We've had them now for a couple years. They're prayer reminders. Mark and I put ours on a rearview mirror in our cars. They're there all summer, so we remember to pray for these teams they're perforated, and they go by date. So Orlando's our first team to go out. You pray, pray, pray for Orlando, and then you tear that one off, and you pray for the next, which is Polly's, and you just go up the list until our Honduran team re returns. Yeah. So we need you to pray. Yeah, can I say something yeah, about that? Please, I please. was thinking, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, the, if you put these in your rear room mirror and you get someone that you're taking a lunch with you, this is a great way to kind of out yourself as a Christian, just Amen. so you know. Right. Kind of hang them there, and they'll be like, dude, what's with that thing hanging by your mirror? Is that an air freshener? You'll be like, it's a prayer reminder. It's a prayer freshener. How's it going? Hey. <laughs> no, that's not funny. I just made that up. I know you did. It's okay. But you get to say, I'm a Christian. I'm praying for these people. Are you a Christian? I hope so. Anyway, keep going. All right. Way to go. Good tie-in. No, I thought I'd just, you okay. know. Okay. Good. Carry on. So these are available. Um, there are students in the back with baskets. And please, please pick one of Everybody these Everybody grab one. That's right. So you can pray. And then secondly, you can fund. Um, uh, Go Global t-shirts are on sale. They just started today. They look just like this. They're in guest services. They're 12 bucks. We make a little bit of money off of each t-shirt sold. That helps us defray the cost for these teams to go on, the, on their trips. But then specifically this morning, um, we would love for you to help us buy shoes for the kids at the Village of Hope in Uganda. Every year when we go to Uganda, we ask the Village of Hope, hey, what can we do you know, can we bring office supplies? Can we bring whatever? And this year they specifically said, man, our kids, they need shoes so they can go to school. There's 400 kids that we want to be, buy shoes for. The shoe vouchers are $10. And what we're asking you to do, and we need to buy ours. But what we're asking you to do is. Text um, me. <laughs> I need some money, honey. I need like 20 bucks. Um, but what we're asking you to do is make sure you put your first and last name. It says from up here. It's like we'll say Mark and Eleanor Saunders. We want you to be specific with these because the kids will actually get these this summer when Mark and the team go over. They'll read them. And then just give them a little message at the bottom like, hey, stay in school or you're doing great. I'm praying for you, whatever. The cool thing about the Village of Hope kids is they love to write back. So hopefully they'll write back to you, okay? So there are people out by the door selling shoe vouchers as well. So you can pray. You can fund. And then finally, we just want to challenge you to consider serving going on a missions trip. And as you pray this summer, I'm just praying with you that God would soften your heart towards this. We run um, three different adult trips every year. We go to Honduras twice. We go down to Uganda every summer. I mean, we go over to Uganda every summer. We also run a family trip to Waimama if you just kind of want to get your feet wet. It's only 48 hours. But there are, there are trips that you can go on with your family or just even just you. And yes, we want to go. We want to make Jesus known. That's why we go on these trips, right? We want to make Jesus famous. We want people to know about him. First and foremost, that's the main reason we go. But secondly, there's this really cool thing that happens when you go on a missions trip. Mark and I got to go to Rwanda like 15 years ago now. Yeah, that's crazy. We're old. 
Okay, so 15 years ago, we went to Rwanda. <clears throat> I had never been to Africa before. I had absolutely no desire to go to Africa. Like, my heart is inner city all the way. Homeless, let me live in a tent in an alley. I'm happy, okay? That's like my passion. So um, I had no desire to go overseas and do mission work. But our church was like, no, we'd love to send you and Mark and Tom and Nicole over and, and do this pastor conference. So I was like, it's a free trip. I guess I'll go. And I prayed about it. I mean, it was kind of spiritual, wow. too. I prayed about it. I prayed about it. It wasn't this church. It was our other church. But I prayed about it. So anyway, I ended up going to Rwanda. But the coolest thing was we get over there. And I had taught inductive Bible study before. And so I get up there and I start, I start teaching inductive Bible study to these pastors who had walked. We're not kidding. Some of them, four and five days, barefooted, walked like from like Burundi and Democratic Republic of the Congo and walked over to Rwanda barefoot just to be at this conference. And I'm teaching like Bible timeline and inductive Bible study. Same with Mark and Tom when they were teaching. Those pastors were literally like they couldn't write fast enough. They were so hungry for the word. Like, I, I get, like, every time we talk about it, man, they were so hungry for the word. And it challenged me. It broke my heart. It, it, it made me see God in a whole different way. And, yes, did Rwanda need us, I guess. But we needed, I needed Rwanda. Like, God broke my heart there. And so I just want to challenge you to consider serving and going on a trip and just being available to the Lord and let him, like, give him, him permission to, like, break your heart for the world that desperately needs him. So pray, fund, go. Just go already. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can, uh, uh, you can you know, buy some shoes. I'd, I'd love for everybody to do that this morning. Yeah, let's just buy all their shoes. Let's just, let's just shoes. do it. Just and do it. Uh, you can do that on the way out. Um, can we stand? We'll be dismissed. Just as you're standing, uh, Eleanor served as our uh, uh, missions coordinator for three years here on our staff. Somebody didn't even know that. She works on our team. She's done a fantastic job. Uh, you need to pray for her. She's taking another role at a local ministry called Echo. Uh, she's going to be the executive director there. So today's her last day. She'll still come to church. But, uh, um, uh, but anyway, we're excited for you as you go. Thanks for doing a great job. Can I pray for us in this mission? Hey, God, thanks so much for a chance for us as a church to... Be reminded of your purpose in us. We are here uh, because you have uh, sent Jesus and by his uh, work on the cross and, and through your turning our eyes to him, uh, we have had faith and we received his grace. Uh, so thank you for that. We, you, you've made many of us in here followers. If there's people who aren't following you yet, I pray that today's the day where they start. But those of us who are following you, Lord, we understand. We want to remember that it's, it's not over. It's not terminated with us. You want... You want your gospel to flow through us to a world that desperately needs it. So in all the ways that we can accomplish that as a church, God, we ask you to go before us, use us in our unique areas and unique giftedness uh, to be a, a huge part of your mission being realized uh, for your church. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you, God. It's a get-to, not a got-to. And uh, we just give you this, Lord. Uh, these teams going this summer, uh, our initiatives moving forward, Lord, we want, we want to do everything we can to bring glory to your name. Use us, God, in Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go. If you have prayer needs, they'll be in the corner.